This podcast is brought to you by Lauren Zander, the author of a new book entitled Maybe It's You. Cut the crap, face your fears, and love your life. Please listen to podcast number 665 with our author, Lauren Zander. If for any reason you feel like you need a kick in the butt and want to get real with yourself about what is keeping you from getting what you want out of your life, then you are going to want to listen to this no-holds-barred interview. She is lively, real, and knows what it takes to break through your self-imposed barriers and the mind games we all play with ourselves that keeps us from attracting the wealth, relationships, and happiness we're all looking for in life. Let Lauren be your guide as we discuss the revealing content in her book, Maybe It's You. Please listen to podcast number 665 with author, coach, and consultant Lauren Handel Zander. If you want to learn more about Lauren's company, Handel Group, please go to www handlegroup.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do all the time, Susan, I want to thank my listeners because I'm working on almost 670 podcasts over the last 14 years with authors like yourself imparting wisdom and knowledge um, to people that are out there listening both in businesses and personal um, and how they can use this information to better their lives. And we are on the line today speaking with Susan Dowell, LCSW. And the book is called Workplace Genie, an Unorthodox, Unorthodox Toolkit to Help Transform Your Work Relationships and Get the Most from Your Career. Good day to you, Susan. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, we're a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and speaking with my listening audience from around the world about your new book with your co-author, um, Natalie Canavore. Is that right? Canavore? Yes. Okay. Canavore. So the two of them have published this book. It's up at Amazon. Again, it's called Workplace Genie. You can check it out at Amazon and we'll have links. But I'm going to let people know just a little bit about you, Susan, before we get into the program. Um, as I said, she's LCSW, is a psychotherapist and clinical hypnotherapist specializing in relationship issues and mood disorders. She's vice president of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. I want to make one question, one clarity. I was vice president, but just, at the, uh, just a few months ago, we turned over to the next round. So Okay, okay. And she's been training health professionals in clinical hypnosis for over 20 years. She practices in, she's joining us from New York City, and she practices in New York and Westchester County, New York. So it's a pleasure having you on, Susan. Thanks for taking the time uh, to actually talk to our listeners about a really important topic, which is really transforming our relationships in the workplace and bettering our careers. And so what was the impetus for you and your partner to write Workplace Genie? Why well, did you, you guys know, want to do that? We both had, when we were working with relationship issues, she, from a very different perspective than I do, she's a business um, communicator. So she teaches a lot of classes on business communication, and I teach a lot of classes on psychological issues and communication. And so we were spending time talking and thought each of us could complement the other in some of the thoughts we had. And we decided to write a book about it. 
Well, and you did a really good job of it. And, you know, right up in the front of the book, you base the advice in the book on five basic principles. And I'm going to tell our listeners what they are. And then we're going to talk about these throughout the rest of this podcast. I don't believe everything you tell yourself. I used to have the same, don't believe everything you think. Um, don't be blinded by distractions by your emotions and personal patterns in dealing with other people. Um, critically examine the situation that challenges you. Um, assess and understand before you act is what you're telling people. Don't rush to assumptions about other people or ascribe motives. Um, they may be far off track, as you say. Recognize that you and everyone else have not just one self, but many. And believe that you have the power to take the lead and make things happen. What is it about these principles, Susan, that create the good foundation in your estimation and your co-author's estimation for a workplace? I mean, we covered all five of them, but, you know, basically in general, why are those so important in the workplace? Well, um, I think that, that, first of all, we have... Um gotten um, a lot of our information from tremendous amounts of communication with people. I've been in practice for almost 40 years and talk a lot about relationship problems in the office and and workplace. And Natalie has been teaching for that much time also. And so we've had continual conversations and, and getting a sense of where there's holes in our information and where it really can offer something to, to a lot of people. So you believe that basically there are these holes in our communication styles and structures and that we can learn from one another exactly how to deal with that. Now, in the book, you speak about ways we can identify our patterns. And we used to call that in a course I took in spiritual psychology, pattern recognition. Can you share with our audience about how they can identify the patterns that are not serving them, that actually they're probably unaware of? Well, I think um, the most important way to tell is that it's not work. what you're doing is not working. Um, that is a pretty uh, sure sign that, that, um, it's, uh, that you're missing out on something because most kinds of communication, there are uh, skills that we can use for most kinds of business communication that have, can have some effect if we're paying attention to it. Um, and I think, for example, and I, uh, is it okay for me to give an example now, or would you like to? Oh, sure. No, go right ahead. Yes. I think one of the most important ones is um, role play. So um, people will come in to the office and tell me that they, um, that they just can't get along with their boss and they, it, nothing's ever working with a coworker, and they've tried all kinds of things, and, and they're very discouraged and they're thinking about changing careers. And the big, the big thing that they're kind of missing is that they haven't thought about new ways to communicate or to the boss or to the coworker, and that's um, extremely important. So, um, for example, um, and I think this is one of my favorite ways of working, uh, is the concept of role play. So, if somebody is is um, coming in and saying that they they can't get their um, boss to listen when they want to get a raise and they've been asking for it for a long time and they're getting all kinds of negative answers. I would ask them to set up a scene in my office where they are actually role-playing each of the, both themselves and their boss. 
in a conversation and is that, that kind process, of being able Susan, to pardon me for interrupting, but is that kind of like a gestalt therapy that you guys are playing with? Because isn't that the same thing that gestalt did was the kind of the role reversal? Well, I've, I used to be trained in psychodrama, which is very similar to gestalt. So, okay. Yes, okay. It's very similar to gestalt and it's uh-huh. much the same way. And it's very but, effective, isn't it? It's, inc- it's surprisingly effective. How much information you can get just by allowing yourself to be open to seeing the other person's perspective. Mm-hmm. And tell me some of the things that you've seen happen when you do these role reversals. Because I think for our listening audience, they're going to be really inspired when they say, hey, I could come in and sit in the chair of this other person and become that person and how they're going to actually see a different perspective. What actually happens what what kind of enlightening things transpire? Well, we have to be some a role play example in the book, but I'll I'll give you one that that's I think very um, typical. Someone is coming in and saying, um, "I can't get my boss to hear me when I want to raise." That's a big one, of course. And um, so we set up the chairs uh, to sit to to. We're trying to duplicate as much as we possibly can the environment with which they've approached their boss. And so we set the chairs up in the office in a way that might be similar. Maybe that one chair is behind the desk and, one, and the seating is far away or whatever it is. We want them to duplicate it. And they start by saying what they would say in the, in the boss's um, office. And I, I do not get, you know, I've wanted to get a raise. I've been asking you for so long and you're not paying attention. And they then reverse roles and sit where the boss is sitting in, their, in the office and I, I or somebody else playing their role will repeat what he is, they have just said, but this time they're sitting in the boss's chair, and they're hearing it from a different perspective. Um, and at the beginning, it feels awkward, but once we start going with it, it's amazing how quickly people get into the experience of the other person as well as themselves and yeah. how much they, they, their uh, eyes open and, and how much they really start to get unexpected insights. Mm-hmm. Now, and it is true, and there's usually some big breakthroughs that occur in the process when you do the role reversal. But another thing that you talk about in the book is facial expressions can be misunderstood, and coworkers might get the wrong impression. What are some of the things that our listeners can do to shift um, their own moods? Because, you know, people get moody, the facial expressions change, people try and read those facial expressions. Sometimes they read more into them than's really there. Um, any tips? First of all, the role play, again, is, this, is a big step because when you're in the other person's seat, you get much more of a sense of what the expression is that they, um, that they might be responding to. And, and that's really important. The awareness is a, is a huge tool in being able to shift something. Um, but if I have a frown on my face or... I've got a really happy looking face and you're saying that some of these are misunderstand by my coworkers or um, I got a chiseled face or whatever. What are some of the things that our listeners might do? Because those are all caused by emotions and moods um, and we're reading into those. Anything we can do to shift those moods or understand how we're affecting other people? Well, yes, I think that the first, um, the first thing to do is something that's called reframing, which is another technique I think you'd probably find in Gestalt work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
that means that you need to start shifting um, your perspective in a way that fits the the facts of the situation and will 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 uh, resonate with the boss in a way that maybe you haven't done because you're so caught up with why you're not being considered that you're not paying attention to what it feels like for him because he's under a great deal of pressure um, uh, right now with the finances of the company. Can so, you give us an example of a reframe? So if somebody is um, seeing things uh, from a negative perspective about their boss, how might they reframe that, Susan? Um, well, they, I, the question that I find very helpful is, is, is helping them to shift to um, how they can listen rather than why they, the boss isn't listening, um, how they can help the boss listen. And the, that involves paying attention to what the boss is struggling with and communicating compassion. I know that this is a really hard time for you. Um, I, I know that you've, um, you know, the company is under a lot of pressure. Um, you know, ways that can create an empathy from the other side and, and, and not created, not created a, your request as a demand, but really a, a query into how you can be helpful in the problems with the company and at the same time um, take account of your needs. So reframing it so that they can see it from the other person's person's point of view. Very similar to what you were just talking about in role reversal because role reversal and reframing can kind of go together. Um, And so people are faced with challenging situations in the workplace. How would you recommend using what you refer to in the book as imaginative power to navigate difficult interactions. Um, it's a term that uh, I hadn't heard before, but imaginative power. Um, well, you know, it's not so different than um, uh, ro- role-playing in a sense. You're putting, you're putting yourself into a perspective. You're bo- going back into your own life and thinking about a moment in time when you felt really competent or when you felt very powerful, or when you felt very eloquent in your ability to talk, you're going back to a time and borrowing from your own strengths and experiences and using that um, felt sense to help um, inspire you to talk differently. Aha, aha. So you're saying that the reality there is, is this imaginative power is also something that allows you to kind of build kind of word pictures, uh, mind pictures in your mind uh, to see the, the situation differently. Is that and correct? it's not imaginative. Essentially, you're drawing on, on other moments of success or ex- another experience in your life where you've had, uh, where you were able to communicate more clearly or where you, um, you, were, you felt good about something you'd accomplished. You're going back to and drawing upon positive experiences from your own life and the felt sense that goes with that because we talk differently when we're feeling confident. So you're digging into the subconscious where all this has right. been recorded and you're, you're saying, okay, here's a, a time when I had this and it went properly. So when a negative situation comes around, I'm able to deal with it better based on a past circumstance that went very well versus one that didn't go so well. Well, correct? I wouldn't be going into it quite so elaborately because I think that sometimes draw people out, draws people down because they're thinking, reminding themselves of what didn't work. So mm-hmm. 
and that's important because when you start doing that, you pull yourself down. It's I really see. it's really helpful to um, to think about just to gather yourself some experiences and memories of when you were successful in speaking up about something when you were when you felt respected, even if they were from a long time ago, bringing them back, getting your body connection to it, what it felt like in those moments, how how you were breathing, what your shoulders felt like, really reenacting the body experience, the state that we're in is empowering. And once we can connect to that state, the words come differently. Ah, so those words are very powerful as well. You are what you think. So the reality is, is that from a psychological standpoint, those are incredibly powerful. And in your chapter on the power to understand others, you reference using intuition to help guide us to understand other people. And that's, it's interesting because, you know, that, that word, obviously it's used in a book that I just wrote quite a bit in the yeah. title, but I, I, I was wondering, um, and I picked up on it right away, um, how would you advise people tapping into their intuition to do this? They're getting a feeling or a sense or a, something about another person. Well, most most body memories are embedded in some kind of uh, experience. So uh, the best, the most useful thing to start with is if you have a, have a real memory of a time when you felt that way is to go back in, in your own memory to that moment in time to, to begin to perhaps sit like you were sitting in that moment um, see, see if you could recapture the, the particular experience in some way so that you start to get a body representation. It's not all in your head. That's really the first and most important part. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to actually get in touch with that intuition. That's, it's a, yes. it's a, an extra way to go deeper with it. Um, it, it provided you can remember that, but I'm just looking at that innate sense, that feeling we get about people, you know, it happens in the workplace and it happens intuition, out of the yes, workplace. Yes, intuition. And, you know, sometimes you're right and sometimes you're all off and sometimes the person's really reminding you of your worst enemy and you're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. Thinking mm-hmm. it's intuition when, in fact, it's not. And that's the, that's the dangerous um, part in all of this because um, sometimes if you're caught up in a strong emotion, you're not as skilled in the, in the moment to think it through. Right. Right, right. Oh, I could see that. Yep. But if you, again, you say that right in the beginning, as you know, we looked at those five principles that this book was developed on. And that is one of those is don't make those snap judgments because things can be completely different than you think. So every one of us in the workplace today has to deal with cross-generational issues. I call them cross-generational because we have baby boomers, we have millennials, we have Gen Xers. Um, we've got all these different people, and your book does a very good job of touching on this and, and giving wonderful advice to people. But um, how would you, um, and you're in this diverse workplace today, how do you recommend that we best deal with these various generational gaps? Well, I think the first one is to acknowledge it, and sometimes we get annoyed at it rather than acknowledging that we have to adapt ourselves to the situation. Um, you know, I think that the um, younger generation is more impatient with the older generation, and probably, um, uh, for example, um, more so than than I, I should. I take that back. I think that that it happens in both ways. And it's an impatience that sometimes interferes with good listening. 
Well, that's a big one. That's for certain is uh, if people aren't listening to one another. But obviously in dealing with these generations, you know, you deal with people that are, you know, in their 60s to people that are down in their 20s. There's a 40-year difference. And some people are very technologically literate. And the way they communicate is through a text. And it pisses off somebody who's in their 60s because that isn't the way they'd like to be communicated with. But, you know, what what do you, what other techniques would you have for helping people work in these diverse workplaces that we work in so that they understand one another better and can communicate better? Well, in the com- companies that I've seen that really are effective, they have um, group meetings where this is sometimes discussed. And they're actually talking about the ways to work in those areas. Yes. Now, what are some of the practical communication techniques that you would recommend to help people in the workplace communicate more effectively? doesn't matter what generation here, just practical communication techniques. Well, you know, I, I'm going to get back to role-playing because that happens to be something that I use and with, with patients under a lot of different circumstances that, that it's, it's important to get to step out of yourself and not always be focusing on what doesn't work for you, but to really ask yourself, um, how to make a difference um, rather than why it's not working. Mm-hmm. So role-playing is one of the big ones. Um, now, you talked a little bit about empathy, considering the other person moving past the labels, um, yes. you know, that people are grumpy or they're a meanie or misunderstandings. Um, how How would you tell somebody, because sometimes, or advise somebody, I should say, um, that they may want to... Uh, come to the workplace with more empathy and compassion? Well, I think, I think that that's the most important thing to do wherever you're working, whenever you're working. Um, because if, if, you can do, if you can begin to attend to that, you've got uh, the potential for a, co- uh, a collegial relationship. You can't be, you can't be um, holding your ground and saying, they're not understanding me and really expect a reverse when you're not able to give it yourself. So right. it goes both ways. Um, and I, one of the things I, I find is that um, most of the time when people bring in complaints, it's complaints about what other people are doing, and, they, um, and it's not about what they've done to, um, in, in, in a similar fashion. So if, if somebody is feeling misunderstood, they're focusing on their um, complaint and not really on what it feels like to be um, treated as if they're uh, as if they they don't know what they're doing, and that's that happens a great deal. Yeah, and you know, I think people. Let's go back to this because we talked about you. You've got a chapter in the book managing up when bosses or when the boss is difficult, and you, you say to misquote a famous line from literature. All bad bosses produce unhappiness in their own way. Um, we can't cover every kind of poor supervisor. So we'll give you a set of examples that relate to the situations that we hear often. And one of them is micromanaging. The boss has no time for you. Um, there's a lot of them. The, the, he's a mean-minded boss. Treat him as if he were a better person. What are some of the ways that we can work with bosses that have these kind of behaviors? Well, I think 
one of the things you have to recognize is that sometimes we're um, so caught up in our dislike or dismay about things that we're not being open either. And that's, mm-hmm. a, big, um, that's a really important thing to remember. And um, so people are saying, why isn't he listening to me? And they're not saying, how can I make him listen? They're saying, why isn't he listening? And so what can somebody do to shift that person's behavior? I mean, I know you said role-playing, well, but let's I say they don't have that opportunity to actually get down to the role-playing. Um, are they just going to give them a big dose of compassion and hope that this well, jerk I think, changes? Well, I think that you need to recognize that you're participating in it. It's not just the other person not understanding you. I think in most cases... Um, there's a standoff in in both directions in some way. And you need to start by asking yourself what you can do differently that where you, where you're holding your own ground and not, and not really taking the other person into account. How can you be different? Not why isn't it working? So it's kind of the energy you're bringing to the relationship. Right. So in essence, I think that's, that's the most power you have. Right. So if you're spewing out a bunch of hate, um, good chances are you're going to get hate back in return. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're bringing compassion and understanding and listening, um, you're and eagerness. And eagerness. And what? And eagerness. Mm-hmm. Eagerness. Speak more about eagerness. Well, I think you know if if you're working with a boss and and they can get that you're really trying to do what they're asking for, um, it's going to be very different than than. Uh, feeling bitter because they're not being more specific. You're, you know, there's a, an openness. What can I do? I know this isn't exactly right. Um, tell me what I can do the next time that will make it fit more, fit better. It's very different than feeling uh, not appreciated because what you just did didn't fit the, the terms they were setting for you. And it's a different attitude, and it's subtle, but it makes a huge difference. Ah, Okay. So if we were to kind of put a ribbon around your book, The Workplace Genie, an unorthodox toolkit to help transform your work relationships and get the most from your career, um, what, what advice would you want? What is the main theme that's running through this book um, as, as advice, Susan, that you would give to the listeners out there today? Well, I, I think that one of the most important things is that um, – you need to show that you really want to make it work. And you, you need to stop focusing on what they're not doing right and, and put your effort into showing that you really want to make it work. Um, so you want to kind of role reversal again, you're saying, right? You're... Yes, in a kind of role reversal, yes. It's not so formal, but yes, you've got to present. Your, it, it's so easy to complain. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to show that you're doing your part to make something work. Uh, and, I, you know, I've heard so many times from people I work with that, you know, that what made such a difference is somebody came in and, and um, said, you know, I, I realize I'm not doing this the way that you want me to. Could you sit down with me and make this work for me so I can understand you better? Things like that. It makes a huge difference. Well, I think what you're actually uh, doing through this book, Susan, is you're empowering people to take back their own power versus losing it. Um, yes, that's exactly and, right. You've captured and, it. And in essence, you're saying, hey, look, you have the power. Don't give it away. 
that is the genie here. That is the workplace genie is your, is your own power. And for my listeners, um, the, the book is very complete. It's very full um, with ideas, concepts, things that you can practice in the workplace, things you can practice on yourself to make not only yourself happier, but to see your workplace as a happy place to be. I think statistically today, 70% or in excess are disengaged, 30% are engaged. If you're one of those people out there who's disengaged or you're disengaged as a result of a, a negative work environment, you certainly want to pick up Workplace Genie um, by, by Natalie Canavore and Susan Dowell. Um, this is a great book. Um, any last words, Susan, for the listeners? Well, I think that the most important thing I would say is believe in your ability to make a change. Make a change in you and make a change in your environment. Right. And I think well, that they, they have the ability to do that, and this book empowers them to do that. It's been a pleasure having you on, Susan. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk about the book. Um, we will put a link up to Amazon for everybody so that you can actually get to the book. We'll actually put any links that they might have to social media as well, Facebook and other places that you could go. Um, thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth, spending a few minutes with me and the listeners discussing your new book called Workplace Genie, um, the unorthodox or an unorthodox toolkit to help transform your work relationships and get the most from your career. And thank, thank you, you for having me. Have a good, have a good evening.